Oh, grace, peace, and mercy be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue our journey here in this time of Lent, right on the heels of Passion Week. We're almost there, but not quite. So many more things to be able to go through before those monumental elements that all of us know so well. There was a doctor in 19, excuse me, 1692 uh, named Guy Patton. And uh, he was the first one to be able to diagnose a condition in a patient that's known as FOP. It's a condition in which your body begins to take itself over. Bone begins to grow in and amongst everything. Your tendons, your ligaments, your muscles, they all become hard as rock, little by little by little, until your heart is fully consumed, is fully taken on, and the body dies. Most of us probably will never suffer or even know anyone that suffers from that condition physically. But all of us here have suffered from this condition spiritually. It was mentioned in our Old Testament lesson for tonight that Bob read for us about our calloused hearts, about how hard they become, how they fight against the Lord, how our body becomes calcified with sin, little by little by little, until our heart is fully consumed. This is also the story that we look at tonight within our gospel text. It's the story of our witness for this evening, who we know by the name of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, you know the name, we say it within the Apostles' Creed every single Sunday. Pontius Pilate, the one who Jesus suffered under. A name which people despise within the Christian world. And someone who little by little by little in our text for this evening was overtaken. He was mentioned last week in our text in John chapter 18. You remember the story in which he brings Barabbas before all of the people. And when he brings Barabbas before all the people, he is hoping that they are going to choose Jesus to be the one who is set free. That they will put this murderer behind bars and to his death permanently, except the people don't choose Barabbas. His plan fails. They want Barabbas to be able to live. He is their champion, and so he doesn't know what to do. He's trapped. He continues to go down this, this path of not knowing, but of still making decisions. And that's where we begin with chapter 19 tonight. Pilate makes the, the first move after not knowing what to do any longer. It simply says that he takes Jesus and he has him flogged. He's hoping this is going to be able to maybe appease some of the people. They didn't choose Barabbas to be able to be the one to go to the cross, but surely if we beat Jesus bad enough, then they will let him go. It will be enough. This beating was horrible. It would sentence criminals to the 40 minus 1. 39 lashes that you would receive because on the 40th one, 
The individuals were so good at their jobs of torture and of beating that on that 40th lash, they knew how to kill a man. And so they take Jesus all the way up to this point of death, these 39 lashes. Then it doesn't stop. The guards take him in verses 2 and 3, and they begin to, to mock him. Hail this king of the Jews, they yell out as they put that purple robe over his shoulders, as they take that crown and place it or push it down upon his head, as they slap him, as they spit on him, hail your king. Where does Pilate go from here? We hear in our text once more that Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look! I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis to be able to charge against him. Set this man free. But is that what the people want to do? Have you ever had a case of mistaken identity before? Maybe you thought you saw someone, but it wasn't really then. Maybe somebody saw you from a distance and they did that thing where they wave and it's the wrong person and you don't know what to do. Mistaken identity. I went to a Christmas party uh, one time at the church that I was last serving at. It was for our staff. All the teachers were there. All the aides were there. The principals were there. The pastors were there. All the church staff were there. And I walked in and I was greeting everybody. I was shaking their hands. I was embracing them. We were ready to be able to, to celebrate this great time of year. I saw my friend uh, Jean there, one of the teachers that worked with me, and I went up to Jean and I gave her a big hug and I let the embrace go and she was staring at me like I did something weird. Jean and I hugged all the, all the time, it wasn't weird. And then I looked over and I saw Jean standing to my left. <laughs> Some people had invited their spouses to be able to come. Jean invited her identical twin sister to be able to come. I had never met her before, she had never met me, but I welcomed her with a warm embrace. <laughs> Mistaken identity. Uh, it happens in our, our text, I think, for tonight, but in a very serious way. Pilate sees Jesus, and when Jesus came out wearing that crown of thorns and that purple robe, Pilate said to him, here is the man. Here he is. Jesus is wearing the right stuff. He has the, the crown. He has the, the purple. He's got the robe on. But nobody sees the king. They see this man. Nobody sees their, their savior. At least they don't want to see their savior. They see this man. Nobody sees this God in the, the flesh standing before them. They just see this man. Sometimes we too probably have a mistaken identity of who God is. We confess that God is all-powerful. He can do anything. But can he really fix this in my life? We confess that God is, is all-knowing. Is he really going to know this thing that I do over here? It's so small. Is he worried about that? We confess that God is all-present. 
But is he really with me here right now in this time of need? Sometimes even you and I probably have a mistaken identity of who God is, of who Jesus is, of what he came to do. Not to be somebody who just communicates with us once in a while. Not to be somebody who is pushing down upon us so we have bad lives. But somebody who came to give his one and only son for us. The one and only son who is our king, who is the one that we lift up tonight. And that mistaken identity continues with Pilate. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. And this continues to happen over and over and over again. It's like this game of crucifixion, hot potato. I have no other word for it. They go back and forth and, and back and forth. You do it. No, you do it. And it continues on further. Pilate's trying to step away, but he can't. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. The Jewish leaders are right. They have this law. They know it to be true, but they can't crucify Jesus. They need the Romans to step up and to be able to do this for them. And so they have this, this battle. They're almost daring each other back and forth or putting blame on each other back and forth. They're making decisions out of fear, as we'll see in a moment. They're making decisions off of self-preservation that we'll see in a moment. And they're just making a decision just to be able to, well, put themselves first. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Christmas Story? There's this scene in that movie, the, the Christmas Story. The boys are always going at it in a lot of different ways. And at one point, uh, they're all out on the playground together. And the boys are arguing. They're going back and forth with one another. My dad says that if you stick your tongue to that pole, it is going to stick. He says, no way. It's not going not gonna to happen. I dare you. You stick your tongue to that pole. It's not going to happen. I, I double dare you. He says, no, no, I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. I triple dog dare you, he says. And he sticks his tongue to the pole. And wouldn't you know it? It sticks. Back and forth and back and forth they go, being able to, to blame each other until they're all finally stuck. The poor young man gets stuck on a pole. The other boys have to go in, and they get in trouble too, and nobody is happy in the end. They're all afraid to be able to make the right decision. They all probably know what they, they should do, just like most of us, but they don't do it. And the same thing happens in our text today, is the boys go back and forth, and back and forth, being able to blame each other of who should crucify Christ. And when Pilate hears this, when they're blaming him, our text specifically says he is even more afraid. Isn't this the one who is in power? Why is he the one that is so afraid right now? What is going to happen to him? Well, the story plays out further. He keeps trying. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you can't let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. They're saying, Jesus, this man, he, he opposes Caesar. You're Pilate, sure, you're big, but Caesar, he's huge. 
And if Caesar hears about this, what do you think he's going to do to you? Caesar at this time is not a nice man. Caesar Tiberius was one who would rage. He was one that would get very upset. He was one that if a riot happens in Pilate's area that he is governing, at minimum he is being thrown out of his position, probably is going to be able to be put to the death. He doesn't want to be able to have any of that happen. And so Pilate is that calcification begins to take place keeps making decisions that are best for him. He doesn't want to have to deal with this. And he tries these little ways because he knows. He knows Jesus is innocent. I find no charge against him. He keeps saying over and over and over again. And he even continues with that story. So he throws it back. Shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. This answer is baloney. This answer is, is horrible. The Jewish people hate the Romans. They want nothing to do with their power, want nothing to do with their leadership. But in this moment, all of a sudden, Caesar is our king. They too begin to make decisions that are based off of what they want, decisions off of what is best for them. And everybody keeps doing this is all those hearts we see in our text begin turning to stone, to bone, to become hard, to become calcified until there's nothing left. Finally, at the end of everything, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Everybody knows what's right. It's probably not a case of mistaken identity. Even this man is innocent, the Savior that stands before us now. But in this moment, everybody decides, what's best for me? It's crazy what people will do to be able to make sure things are best for them. Lying, stealing, taking, even murdering it happen. And so Jesus goes to the cross with all these people on his mind and us too. This is a depiction of that event by the famous artist Rembrandt. It was done in the 1600s and it's called Lifting of the Cross. Whereas Jesus is finally nailed there, this cross is lifted up for him to be able to hang and suffer his last moments here on earth. It's an interesting painting because right there at the foot of the cross is a man who doesn't belong there, but he places himself there anyways. If you look right there at the feet of Jesus, it's actually a portrait of Rembrandt himself that he puts there, that he's there at the foot of the cross. He's not helping Jesus. He's not worshiping Jesus. He's lifting that cross of Jesus. Because he knew, just as we know today, that it's our sins that nail Jesus upon that cross. That it's our sins that, that lift him 
up there. That it's our hard hearts that have chosen what we think is best over what God has gifted to us that's best. But that epistle lesson for tonight that Bob read gives us some super good news. Talks about the good things of our hearts. Because in this season of Lent, we think about the tough times, we acknowledge our sin, we cry together, we hurt and understand our sin, but we also come back to recognize our Savior. This is what happens for us in those words that we receive in that final scripture passage. This is for the God who said, our creator of all things, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts. This heart transplant that occurs from that calcification of sin to this bright light of our Lord. To be able to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory. Do you understand, he says, I want you to be able to understand what God has done for you. <clears throat> Displayed in the face of Christ. It's not displayed in Rembrandt's face on that painting. It's not displayed in the face of Pontius Pilate. It's not displayed in the face of Caesar. Not displayed in the face of the religious leaders. And definitely not displayed in the face of you and me. But displayed in the face of Christ. So that's the good news. That our Lord could have paused this or stopped this at any time. But instead allows it to progress. Allows it to finish and allows us to be able to go to a week of passion, remembering his face and everything that he has done for us to give us his grace, his hand, his feet, and his life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today, and I pray that more and more, especially this week, we will begin to recognize you as our king, that there will be no mistaken identity, the purpose that you came to be able to serve, but that we will recognize all of the love that you have to be able to give. Continue to be able to strengthen us in our faith as we lift our hands in celebration in a short time from now on your glorious Palm Sunday, and as we walk through this journey with you, a God who has given us everything even his one and only son.